Chapter Eleven of Fuel of Fire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Fuel of Fire by Ellen Thornycroft Fowler. Chapter Eleven: The Burning of Baxendale. Higher the flames rose, higher and higher, when Baxendale Hall was made fuel of fire two days after the candies had started on their holiday the weather broke up to that time the middle of august it had been a wonderful summer one of those summers which stand out in men's memories as a type of all that a summer ought to be but suddenly the face of the heavens changed the rain fell and then there blew a tremendous gale for several years past there had not been such a storm in wind in mercia it tore the tiles off the roofs and made merry with the slates and opened doors without knocking and broke the windows until silverhampton presented the appearance of a city which had been besieged rather than of a comfortable manufacturing town in the country the wind behaved no better it tossed the big trees about tearing them up by their roots till it looked as if some giant hand was playing a monster game of spillikins in the woods and as the ground heaved and shook with the efforts of the tree roots to escape from their prison at the bidding of the storm fiend it seemed as if an earthquake were following in the wake of the wind as it was still summer the trees had on all their leaves and that made them less able to bow before the gale and more liable to be overthrown by it right opposite the west front of baxendale hall there stood a huge old elm tree which was known as the luck of the baxendales because there was a tradition to the effect that whenever it fell ill luck would overtake the house of baxendale but as it had cheerfully remained upright clapping its hands and tossing its huge arms about while poverty drove the baxendales out of their home and left their habitation desolate their luck and it seemed to have parted company and the tradition was now held to be of no effect but the great gale accomplished what the poverty of the baxendales had failed to bring about it tore up the roots of the old elm tree and laid its proud head in the dust what do you think the old elm tree at the back of the hall has been blown down shouted lawrence on the morning after the gale to nancy whom by some strange accident he had come across in the lanes but the wind which though less violent than it had been was still inimical to conversation carried his words eastward into silverhampton instead of to the little pink ear for which they were intended what shouted nancy in response holding on her hat while the gale played havoc with her dress till she looked like a little blue flag i can't hear a word that you say in this awful wind lawrence came nearer and repeated the piece of information in a still louder key this time it reached its destination the tree that is called the luck of the baxendales asked nancy lawrence nodded it was the weather for signs and signals rather than for spoken words oh what a pity nancy exclaimed i do hope it won't spoil your luck lawrence smiled somewhat grimly it can't very well spoil what doesn't exist my dear and for it to fall now seems to be a little behindhand 
considering that we've been about as unlucky as we could be for the last twenty years it does seem the wrong way about gasped nancy struggling against the wind like wagging a dog's tail to make him good-tempered don't you know come up to the hall and have a look at the tree lawrence entreated when again the wind gave him the chance of being heard all right nancy was always what anthony called a good plucked one i'll take care of you and see that no branches fall on your pretty head said lawrence with as much tenderness in his voice as such a gale permitted it isn't a pretty head just now as it happens i put on an ugly hat on purpose so that the wind shall not spoil more beauty than is absolutely needful keep to the windward of the trees and as far away from them as possible was lawrence's warning i daren't walk with amaryllis in the shade on such a day as this and the wind is so busy with the tangles of niera's hair that there isn't one left for you to play with added nancy it's a good thing you aren't made after the fashion of handel's young woman who found that where'er she walked trees crowded into a shade it's bad enough keeping clear of them when they are fixtures in this weather but if they took to running after you in crowds i really don't know what i should do nancy laughed with as much breath as she could command at the minute i say darling you aren't frightened at crossing the park in such a fearful gale are you because if you are i'll take you home before i go inquired lawrence after the next gust had subsided and the very wind itself was stopping to take breath nancy pouted i believe you are tired of me and want to get rid of me do you well if you believe that you'll believe anything i do i believe that you've seen somebody you like better than me and that another woman's eyes have put my nose out of joint what a little goose you are you know that for me there never has been and never will be any woman in the world but you but are you sure you're not frightened of this awful storm nancy looked up at him with fearless eyes good gracious no i couldn't be frightened at anything when i am with you that's the beauty of being in love it makes fear impossible and fear is such a horrid thing why if you were with me i dare drive down piccadilly in a victoria and merely smile when i felt a reckless hansom in my pocket and a blood-curdling omnibus in my back hair and if you were there too i shouldn't mind going through a whole battle with nothing but a waterproof and an umbrella to keep the bullets off my sweetheart what a dear foolish little child you are and so these two fearless young people ploughed their way in the teeth of the westerly gale right up to the hall and stood together by the ruins of the old elm-tree and with nancy at his side lawrence felt as unafraid of ill-luck and as ready to meet and overcome it as nancy felt with regard to the congested traffic of london or the perils of war which showed that as yet he underrated the strength of those mysterious principalities against which men have to wrestle rather than against flesh and blood while lawrence and nancy were fighting their way up to the hall mr arbuthnot called to see rufus webb and found that the disturbance of the elements had worked the fanatic into a state of semi-insane enthusiasm it is a tremendous gale arbuthnot remarked after the usual greetings and will do a lot of damage i'm afraid rufus had a rapt look upon his face a great strong wind rent the mountains he murmured but the lord was not in the wind and after the wind was an earthquake but the lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice 
michael being a man of much tact fell in with webb's mood and what did the still small voice say did it encourage the prophet to shut himself out from the sympathy and communion with his fellows no it asked what doest thou here elijah a question which that same small voice is asking every one of us and waiting for our answer well god knows that i vile as i am can still say truthfully with elijah i have been very jealous for the lord god of hosts that at least i can answer i know you can and do you think that that answer will satisfy god now any more than it satisfied him in elijah's time not it he will send you away from the mountains as he sent his prophet of old back through the wilderness of damascus to the anointing of earthly rulers and the choosing of human friends you mean that i shut myself up too much from my kind i do i know that when once one has stood upon the mountain of transfiguration the mole hills of the valley seem contemptibly small and petty in comparison nevertheless it is among the mole hills of the valley that our daily tasks lie and i do not believe that it is only in order to make us despise and chafe against these molehills that we are allowed to stand upon the mountain top now and again i believe that it is rather in order that we may thereby learn that the molehills are but molehills after all and are but for a moment while the mountains stand fast for ever but rufus shook his head i am not upon the mountain tops i am down in the deep waters so we all are now and then but the path of duty lies no more permanently through the deep waters than upon the mountain tops just then a sudden gust of wind seemed as if it were going to blow the cottage down what a gale it is exclaimed the vicar i don't remember such a wind as this since i first came to mercia and after the wind an earthquake repeated rufus with the rapt look again upon his face well there does actually seem to be an earthquake going on if you see how the ground is shaking and heaving with the upheaval of the trees that is the worst of elms their roots lie so near the surface and are so widespread that they fall sooner than any other tree and in their fall do more damage mr arbuthnot tried to bring the soothsayer back into everyday life and after the earthquake of fire continued rufus in a weird monotonous voice of one who is speaking with strange tongues well i only hope there won't be a fire anywhere for this wind would fan it into an uncontrollable flame in no time if once a fire were lighted there would be no putting it out in such a gale as this and after the fire a still small voice it was not until the fire had done its worst that the still small voice was heard mark that it is not until our possessions have been destroyed and our souls purged so as by fire that the still small voice speaks to us and speaking can induce men to listen to it as rufus webb sat with this mystic look upon his face the vicar was able to notice how sadly lined with care and want that haggard face was in spite of all his eccentricity rufus was still a gentleman and it was very difficult for one gentleman to intimate to another that the former does not believe the latter has enough to eat nevertheless that was the idea which struck mr abuthnot and which filled his warm heart with distress distress all the more poignant because he saw no way of setting things right there was something about rufus webb some trace of inborn gentlehood and former culture which forbade any one to take the shadow of a liberty with him be his behaviour and his conversation never so insane knowing that a religious train of thought was apt so quickly to degenerate 
into frenzy in the mind of the ex-missionary michael endeavoured to turn the talk into less exciting channels by the way have you heard that this wind has brought down the huge elm-tree that stood on the other side of baxendale hall he had touched a responsive chord webb turned to him at once with awakened interest the great elm-tree which was named the luck of the baxendales do you mean yes it must have stood there for two or three hundred years and i am glad glad that it has fallen and that ill-luck will henceforward dog the footsteps of lawrence baxendale is it well for that young man to find rest in the house of his fathers and to marry the woman of his choice and to have children at his desire and to leave the rest of his substance to his babes nay better for him that his house shall be left unto him desolate and that sorrow and poverty shall drive him to the one refuge where true help is to be found for what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul so webb rambled on and arbuthnot having in vain tried to reduce the hermit to a more reasonable state of mind took his leave but as he went away his heart was heavy within him because of that actual want which he felt sure was undermining the health of rufus and yet which no one dared take the liberty of recognizing and relieving during all the day the gale continued and at sunset the wind fell and was succeeded by a great calm the next morning dawned beautifully fine and hot but with a stillness which seemed almost oppressive after the boisterous weather of the last few days there was not a cloud to be seen and although those jeremiahs among men who cannot feel warm without prophesying thunder or cold without foretelling snow did predict a thunderstorm no thunder came for the simple reason that the sky was so clear there was nowhere for it to come from it was one of those days when even to the hale and hardy the grasshopper becomes for the time being a burden there was no life in the air and effort seemed unendurable if not impossible even the wings of love himself could not fly far afield in such an atmosphere so in the afternoon lawrence and nancy betook themselves to those untrodden ways which lay nearest to wayside and poplar farm and which required the minimum of locomotion in attaining thereto it's too hot to walk up to the hall this afternoon nancy said sinking down on a fallen tree which lay by the roadside arthur and ambrose have gone as they wish to investigate the fall of the tree more minutely and it never seems too hot for boys to do things but it is too hot for us much too hot sweetheart besides there is no need to go i was up there before breakfast this morning to see if the gale had done any more damage and i was up there just after breakfast to see if i could find a missing light in the queen acrostic for this week oh were you what a pity you didn't tell me you were going darling and we'd have gone together it didn't occur to me till this morning that i might find that particular light in a particular book i did look out for you at the crossroads but but as you were nowhere in sight i went on by myself it was too hot to go far in search of anybody or anything the finding of which did not involve a prize you horrid child to think more of an acrostic prize than of me did you succeed in finding your missing light for you certainly didn't deserve to of course i did i always get everything and deserve nothing it is a much more satisfactory plan than getting nothing and deserving everything as you do but the whole place is rather in a mess after the gale isn't it there are a few good tiles lying about but no more trees are down near to the house and no windows are broken although the glass roof of one of the greenhouses was smashed in 
but that won't matter there were no plants of much value in that particular greenhouse and those that were there i have moved into a potting shed until candy's return do you mean to say you removed them with your own hands in this heat oh excellent young man lawrence laughed of course i did i'm not made of sugar or salt my dear or any such melting material well i couldn't have carried pots about when i reached baxendale this morning it was as much as i could do to walk so far on such a day as this said nancy poor little thing did it feel the heat whispered lawrence kissing her yes it did and what is more the heat takes its fringe out of curl which annoys it very much and spoils its good looks replied nancy submitting to the embrace nothing of the kind i won't allow you or anybody else to find fault with the fringe or the good looks of my young woman so please remember that miss burton after a few minutes silence lawrence remarked you are very quiet this afternoon sweetheart is anything worrying you oh dear no things never do worry me but it is too hot to be brilliant or even to be affectionate she added with a laugh edging away from her lover you unkind child to throw back a nice young man's affection in his teeth when according to shakespeare you ought to be down on your knees thanking heaven fasting for my devotion you aren't half grateful enough for having such a well-set-up young man all round as mrs candy would say yes i am but it doesn't seem to me exactly the weather for rehearsing the huguenots every three minutes as a tableau vivant then let's change it for the black brunswicker it would suit me every bit as well suggested lawrence nancy looked at him through her long eyelashes you really are very nice she said when one doesn't consider you too closely what a rude little girl it would serve you right if i kept you at a distance and talked to you about the political situation and the decay of poesy and things of that kind i shouldn't mind it half as much as you would so if i am such a fool as to amputate my own nose in order to spite your pretty little face you won't prevent me certainly not besides i'm jealous of your nose it is a much better shape than mine said nancy stroking her own offending feature thoughtfully and i really don't see what you have done to deserve a better nose than i i haven't i really haven't my conscience is quite clear on that score then why is your nose so superior to mine i'll give it up ask another your eyes aren't quite as nice though said nancy more cheerfully nothing like and as you've two superior eyes and i've only one superior nose you're twice as well off as i am after all two to one is a good working majority don't you know and so these two young people went on talking nonsense little dreaming how short-lived such nonsense was doomed to be at sunset that evening the wind rose again and for the whole of the night the westerly gale was more boisterous than ever the wind had evidently been scotched not killed and it now awoke as a giant refreshed with wine and rushed to and fro across the heavens like some devastating fiend at about three o'clock in the morning lawrence was awakened by the violence of the gale and roused himself sufficiently to look out of his window in order to see whether that ghastly game of spillikins was again going on in baxendale woods he was struck by perceiving a rosy light opposite his window which at first sight he mistook for the first flush of dawn but as he grew more wide awake he realized that the sun does not rise in the west and that therefore there must be some other reason for this phenomenon and by the time he was thoroughly awake the awful truth dawned upon his drowsy brain that baxendale hall was in flames even while he stood spellbound at the first horror of the sight tongues of flame darted up into the summer sky 
and clouds of smoke rose up and blotted out the stars which hung low over the horizon line yes baxendale hall was on fire and the ancient prophecy had once more come true there was no doubt of it for a second which seemed like an eternity lawrence stood still feeling as we all feel under the first shock of some great calamity that the terrible thing which was now happening had been happening ever since the foundation of the world there seemed no prehistoric time when baxendale hall had not been on fire no half-forgotten date when the third part of the ancient doom was as yet unfulfilled then with a great effort he roused himself and awakened his household and hastily dressing he made his way as well as he could in the teeth of such a wind up to the scene of the disaster followed by such servants and labourers as he had been able to awaken on the road but it was too late in such a gale as this the fire ran on apace and no human agency could extinguish it after it has once taken a hold the old library with its reams of dried-up parchment and paper acted as fuel to the flames and although lawrence and his followers did all in their power to extinguish it their efforts were utterly futile the fire however had only touched the first and upper stories the ground floor was still intact so as the news of the disaster spread wider and more help came the men succeeded in saving the downstairs rooms and their contents which contents were after all nothing save ordinary furniture but when the day broke and the full extent of the catastrophe was revealed it was found that the upper part of baxendale hall including the fine old pictures and the still finer old library was reduced to a heap of ashes End of chapter eleven